Morning. Morning. We're working our way through a series of messages called... If you don't have one of these, please put up your hand and the ushers will give you one. This looks like a bulletin, but it's actually not. This is called a tool. If you don't have it, if you don't have this tool, put up your hand right now. The ushers are handing them out. And uh, if for whatever reason you have not been here to hear the first number of parts of this series, where could you go to find them? PansyChapel.com, that's right. You can listen to them and then you can find out, okay, this, it might make a little more sense. But essentially what we have been talking about is putting on the new you. And it talks about that, the Bible talks about that in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. Taking off the old self, putting on the new self. That's what we're talking about here in, these, uh, in these, this series of messages. <laughs> and it brings out the best in everybody. And uh, so explain to me, I realize I think I've done this illustration on that side of the room every week. So maybe I'll start this side. What do these coveralls represent? The old self, what was that? You've seen me enough over there. I'm going to stand over here today. So these represent the old me. This was the me before I found Jesus. And then... When I accept Jesus into my heart, this is what happens. I take off the old me, the dirty me, the disgusting me. Why is it disgusting? Am I a bad person? It's sin, actually. It actually doesn't, it's my identity actually is going to get, when I recognize my identity in Jesus, it can change everything. But the sin that was on me is gross and it's dirty. And when I accept Jesus, this is what happens, right? Ay, ay, ay. And I take off the old me, and I discard it, and now I am set free of that. And there's actually some things that happen automatically and instantly. I get the Holy Spirit, I become God's kid, I'm sanctified and justified. We talked about that in part two, I think. That happens automatically, but what doesn't happen automatically? Because some Christians like to think that they can just stand here forever. What happens not automatically? What are the, what's not happening yet? The new you hasn't actually happened yet. And that means characteristics. And so what kind of a... Where would I go if I wanted to look for like 50 characteristics of God to find out what they look like? The tool has it. That's what you have in your hand. That tool on the inside of it has those characteristics of God. And if you're wondering if you have them or not, there's even instructions of that. I think it's on the back where it says, if this, there's some of those things maybe you, got, you already got the new you. But there might be places you don't have it. Okay, so the new you is created, actually, it's, those are characteristics of who? Yeah, God, Jesus, that's exactly who it is. We're becoming more like him when we put on the new character, the new you. And what does, what are the ways to put these on? Where would you go to find out the ways in which you could, the general ways in which you can put on the new you? Well, scripture, of course. But if you wanted a simple tool, where would you go? The tool, front cover, number one, two, three, and four. Okay, it says right there. Here's ways, to, common ways to put on the new you. Right there, there's four of them. We've been talking a lot about the voluntary ways to do it, because that's one of the ways. You can just, you can look through the list. You can ask your spouse, where do I need to grow? She'll be happy to let you know. And then, 
You can work on it. That's one of the ways you can do it. You can do it voluntarily, but you can also do it. Last week, we talked about something that's a little bit, it's actually a little bit offensive and a bit of a tough word to swallow. But what's another way that God can, uh, we can put on the, on the new you? Yeah, trials and suffering and discipline. That's, that's exactly it. We talked about that last week. Today, what we want to talk about is actually just a continuation of last week. So if you look at, on the back, there's steps, steps to initiate the process yourselves. There's additional steps. If you're going through suffering and trials, there's some additional things that you can and should do in order to actually put on the character of God as a result of your suffering and trial. Last week, we said sufferings and trials are actually part of God's plan. And we still came back here this week to praise Him. Because we know that He's He's good. <laughs> We're going to uncover some of that more today. And I often feel like it's a bit of a burden that I have to go through all this recap and explain this every time here. This is the seventh time I've done it. And, or the sixth time, I guess part one was a new thing. But anyway. But this is the thing. The reason this little tool, it's just a piece of paper. But I would challenge you guys. The Sunday school teachers, the youth leaders, the education committee, or the Bible study group leaders, if you wanted to, you could take this tool and have a fantastic Bible study for several months just based on the information in here. Just dropping it out there. This is not something that's going away. This is a biblical principle of how God works and what it looks like in the Christian life. And so I think we should use it as a church. But here's what I want to talk about today. Something that is potentially... A little tough to talk about again. If you look on the back, the very bottom line, additional steps in suffering and trials, number three says, ask God to reveal what his purposes are. In your suffering and trial, God, what's the purpose? Why are you letting me suffer so much? And I'll tell you already, I don't mean to diminish people's suffering or pain or the amount of struggle that they are going through because there are people, and I said it last week again, I'm saying it today again what I said last week already, some people are going through such hurt and pain, they're actually not ready to receive this kind of teaching. And if you're here today and that's you, Please don't be offended. I'm not diminishing your pain. I'm not trying to give a Sunday school pat answer that if you do these 10 things, then your pain's going to be gone. That's not what I'm saying. What we're uncovering in, in last week and this week, and we're going to continue, is that there are some biblical truths that we need to learn so that when pain and trials come, we can have a better understanding or maybe our eyes are opened to what God is accomplishing with those things. You guys with me? Because some of us might be in pain. We might be, think, we be in pain from the death of a loved one. We might be going through illness. It could be just trials in our life, irritations, frustrations. Some of us legitimately have dreams that have been given to us from God, and they're not happening, and they're, they feel, it feels to us like our dream is a piece of glass, and it's just laying shattered before, in front of us. And we have to, day after day, walk through life like that. Some of us actually feel like maybe we're God's punching bag. And we feel like God doesn't feel like he's very good all the time. And it feels like he's just, I'm this bag hanging from a rope from the ceiling and he's punching me every day. That's what it feels like. 
if, God some, if that's how it feels to you like your life is, I want to point something out. Today I'm going to give you 10 purposes, that's not an exhaustive list, but 10 purposes that God could be using and doing to you on purpose through a suffering or trial. But before I get there, if you feel like sometimes you're God's punching bag and you're struggling with that, I want to point something out to you. Jesus was familiar with pain and suffering. Let's look at Isaiah 53 for just a second, okay? You can read this entire chapter, but listen to this. When it comes to the yellow words, you can shout those out or say them loudly with great enthusiasm, okay? Isaiah 53, I just picked a couple so I can get it onto one screen. We're talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with We could just pause there for a second. That's who Jesus was. He was a man familiar with suffering, familiar with pain. We considered him punished. By who? By God. Stricken by him and afflicted. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That is just a little synopsis of who Jesus is, but I want to show you that so that you understand Jesus was familiar with suffering. The suffering was actually part of God's plan, just like we learned last week. Let's jump into some of these. Here's the question. When you look at that, and if that's how you feel, you feel a bit like that too. You're, you feel like you've been afflicted by God and you're God's punching bag. It reminds me, and if you're asking this question, Lord, why? Why are you doing this? Why? It reminds me of Hebrews 12 too. It says this, for the joy... I, I feel the end there. Let's try again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus went through all that pain and suffering and trial, he, there was some, something out there in front of him that he was anticipating. Did he receive it in this lifetime? We're just talking in generalities, okay? Was it fun for Jesus to be flogged and nailed and mocked and ridiculed and, and uh, murdered? Was that fun? No, it was for the joy set before him. He was anticipating something in the future, and it's the same thing that we can anticipate too. And he knew all about it. And Jesus understands your struggles far more than you probably realize. Let's jump into ten purposes. Ten purposes for suffering. I want to point out one more thing before we jump into this, because I, I just have a feeling like some people are going to be offended by this because they think I'm diminishing their pain. First of all, stop worshiping your pain. Worship the Lord, okay? That's just the truth. Secondly, I want to point out, I'm even going to use some stories of people in here today. And when we look at other people, they're all weak people that have made mistakes, but there's truths that come out of their lives that we can learn from, okay? We're going to learn from them today too. But when we want to know what's true, where do we go? The Bible. The Bible is where we go, and so if, if you understand that I'm going to reveal purposes for suffering out of Scripture, you can't be mad at me. 
You understand? Who do you got to take that up with? Go for it, okay? <laughs> Just don't stand right next to me when you're praying, okay? I, uh... Here we go. Here's the first purpose for suffering. Number one is probably the most common one. I don't know. We just don't know. Sometimes we don't know why. That's the first reason. It's a good one, isn't it? Here's the thing about that reason of just simply we don't know. Sometimes we go through pain and struggle and trials and sufferings and we don't know why. and We don't understand why. And we even ask God, God, show me the reason. And we just feel like we hear nothing and there's just no reason. And you might not know until you get to eternity what the reason is. But I'll tell you what you have an opportunity to do something. If that is the reason you have right now, this is the reason that isn't the reason, you just don't know. You know what you can do? I don't think that there is a better place to worship the Lord. I actually don't think so. If you are somebody who is going through some kind of unjust suffering, and you determine, even though you are suffering and it's unfair, and you're a righteous and blameless person, but then you choose, I'm going to worship and serve the Lord anyway? Wow, is that worship to the Lord. Amen? That's what Job did in Job 1, 20, uh, 21 or 22, or 20 and 21. 20 to 22. At this, Job got up, and tore his robe and shaved his head. You know what it was? He had just found out that his working livestock had died, and all of his livestock that were in the barns and fields had all died. His servants had all died, and all of his kids had died. And buildings and whatever else he, was, he had was gone. He found that out all in one day. And he was described as a righteous and blameless man. And in fact, God even suggested to Satan, why don't you come and flick Job? It was God's plan. Okay, so here's Job's response to all that. At this, Job got up, tears his robe, shaves his head. That was just a sign of mourning. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said. And he did not know why he was suffering. And you, I can, I'm saying that because the rest of the book, until even maybe right at the very last chapter, he says, uh, he starts picking up on maybe a clue what God was doing. But he really had no idea at all, for sure not, during his suffering. He had no idea why. But this is how he responds, even not knowing why. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. There's things that we can learn from Job of how to praise God even when the purpose to us just is not known. The second thing, second purpose that God has for us, sometimes He just wants to discipline us so that we can grow in character. We have already covered this quite a bit in this series. And so I'm going to go over this pretty quick. But Hebrews 12, verse 6, says this. says, The Lord disciplines who? And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And those who memorize Hebrews 12, right? So, 
There's good things that come from God's discipline. That could be one of the purposes of your suffering or trial. Could be discipline. Could be also be unknown. But one of them is discipline. Let's go to number three. Now here's another purpose. I want you to understand this one. If you have not heard this before, please write that down. One of God's purposes for suffering could be to reveal sin in you and to expose your heart in order that to bring you to a place of repentance and fear of the Lord. Tough to get that all into one line, okay? God might use pain and suffering to reveal sin in your life and to often expose that, who you really are. And it's at that time you have the option of whether or not to repent. You've already been exposed, and it's up to you. You can choose to just say, Lord, oh, man, I am sorry. And it actually will awaken a fear of the Lord in you. I'll just prove that out of Scripture. We'll just look at Jonah for a second. You guys know the story about Jonah? If I took a cup, if I had a cup like this with no lid on it, if I took the lid off, and if I told you there's either water in here or coffee, and if, just for an illustration, if the water represented everything good, clean, and wholesome, and the coffee was black and represented sin, and I get really good as a Christian, I go to church, and I can hold my cup so no one can see what's in it, and I, everybody knows I have a cup, and I tell them it's water in there, because it's holy, Right? And then I just and I get really good at presenting myself like this. And I can, even, I can even trip and stumble a little bit and I can hold my cup and nobody will really know what's in there. Guess when they're going to find out what's in there? If somebody comes and bumps my elbow, what happens? Something's going to spill out. This is what's happening with Jonah. This is the principle. Okay? God can use sufferings and trials to give you a bump and it actually exposes what's really inside you, and it'll give you a chance to deal with it. This is what happened to Jonah. Let's recount the story. I'll make sure I don't uh, jump ahead here. Fill in the blank. God told uh, Jonah to go to the wicked city of Nineveh. But then instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah went to Tarshish. And then on his way to Tarshish, Jonah was traveling in a boat. Okay, let's try that one more time. He was traveling in a boat. And then God, very creatively, brought about some suffering and trial for Jonah. What was the suffering and trial? A great storm blows, and there's an incredible storm that's going to rip this boat apart. And in Jonah 1 verse 12, Jonah tells everybody, because they're all scared they're going to die, he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault. my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So you see what's happening? God uses, is using a suffering and some trial to just reveal Jonah's heart. And Jonah's like, this is me. It's working. Okay, but then let's keep on reading. They try rowing to shore, and it doesn't work. And then in verse 15 and 16, then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly... Feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. You can see this is, so we could just stop right there. The point's already been made. Sometimes God uses suffering and pain and trials to expose us, to reveal sin in us. Jonah realized, yeah, it's my fault. He recognized the sin in me. 
And God was, through that experience of how he did that with Job, caused fear of the Lord to waken up in the guys on the boat. You with me? But God is not done using suffering to reveal sin in Jonah's life. And we sometimes forget that in the rest of the story. So, Jonah spends some time in the fish, gets out of the fish, goes to the city of Nineveh. He goes to the city of the wicked city of Nineveh, preaches the word there. What does God do? So God was going to, God told Noah, tell him, I'm going to bring disaster on this place. But then the people actually repent. And then what does God do? He has mercy on them. He relents and he does, he does not bring the disaster. Well, do you remember how Jonah responds to that? He gets, he gets angry. Okay, let's read that. Jonah 4 verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became? Okay, so remember, God just relented and didn't bring disaster on Nineveh. Now Job is, uh, sorry, Jonah is ticked off and angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when, it was, when I was still at home? This is why, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a train wreck, hey? But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? I love how gentle the Lord is. Isn't it? We should be thankful for his mercy. When we, you can pray like that and he actually just responds with a question. That's a pretty gentle God. So if you read that story, you realize that the Lord is patient and he kind of just lets, he lets Jonah saunter off into the desert and stew and fuss in his anger. And Jonah sets himself up a little place to sit and then this vine grows up with some big leaves and causes some shade for him. And he loves that vine. Ah, sitting in the shade. And then you know what happens? <laughs> I love God. God makes the, plant, the vine wither so the leaf is dead and falls off or doesn't cause any shade anymore. And then God, think about what we're just, this point, this purpose, he sends heat from the sun and a wind in the desert. While he took away the shade to Jonah. What would you call that? That's more suffering, pain, or trial. That's not, and God did it. God sent it. Jonah 4 verse 9. But God said to Jonah. And, and uh, by the way, Jonah, uh, sorry, I always get, uh, Jonah gets very angry here. And he, and, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And the Lord is so gentle, but think about what he is saying. He is about to reveal something special to Jonah. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But the Lord isn't actually thinking about the plant. He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there's more than 120,000 people who don't know the right hand from the left hand? They're steeped in sin. 
and you're worried about this plant. And he, you know what he just revealed to Jonah? Jonah was angry at God. And then he was disgusted with the people of Nineveh. And then he was angry at this plant. And God is saying, Jonah, the problem isn't with Nineveh. The problem isn't with the vine. The problem isn't with me. It's with you. Ooh. And how did God reveal that to Jonah? Suffering. You guys with me? Let's go on to the number four. Just so I can show you number three is God sometimes reveals sin and exposes our hearts, which gives us an opportunity to repent and fear the Lord if we have the right attitude. That's what we see in Jonah. The problem is that the story ends right there. I would be a little bit more satisfactory if we could see that Jonah actually repented, but the story ends there, okay? Number four, suffering sometimes keeps us from sinning and backsliding. Let me ask you a question. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. You guys with me? He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Pride sets itself up before God, and then, you're, and then you can't be close to God if you're full of pride. In Paul's case, God used suffering to prevent him from becoming conceited. It's exactly what he did. If we look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it's exactly what Paul said, to keep me from becoming... Okay, to keep me from becoming... Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. God used that suffering to keep him from sinning, to keep him from backsliding. If that is what God does with suffering, if we're actually thinking about eternity... If that's what it's going to take in order for me to get to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus, then, then I will take it. In fact, I want it. I also would like to be in a place where I didn't need that. <laughs> but God in His graciousness knows that sometimes we need that. Paul needed it. And if Paul needed it, I suppose it could happen. Maybe us too. Number five. So we learn to depend on the Lord and His power. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9 says this. Some of our sufferings actually just help us to depend on Him. Listen to how this is written. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles, pain, suffering, trials, we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened... So here's the purpose. We might not rely on ourselves, but on God. who raises the dead. Uh, let me give you an example, a, a current day example of a little bit how this works, that suffering actually helps us to rely on God. You guys know who uh, Joni or Johnny Erickson Tata is? When she was a young girl, she dove into some water, uh, had an accident which paralyzed, uh, paralyzed her for life, and I think she's paralyzed from the neck down, okay? That's, uh, that's uh, Joni right there. I want to read something that she says. She talks about 
a time she's speaking at a ladies' conference, and she got cornered in the bathroom, in the ladies' bathroom, I guess during the in-between sessions, and some ladies came up to her, and I'm going to read, I'm going to quote this, okay? Um, oh, Joni, you always looked so together, so happy in your wheel, wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Just wait a second. It's got to be in here somewhere. Your attitudes and emotions, number two on the, on the right-hand side. Okay? You guys want to grow in joy? They looked at Joni Erickson Tata and said, Man, I wish I had your joy. You look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had that. Several people around her nodded. They said, How do you do it? And this is her response. I don't do it, she said. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. Remember, she can't move except her head. She's laying in bed all by herself for an hour. Nobody even at home. At 7 o'clock, her friend comes in. That's when a friend arrives, me, arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bed bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and my teeth, send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take, into, uh, to take with me into the day, but you do. May I borrow your smile. God, I need you desperately. The women in the bathroom said, so what happens when your, friends come, your friend comes through the door? One of them asked. And she says, a miracle happens. When she opens my bedroom door, I turn my head toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God's. And so, she gesturing to her paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. I have learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God, and the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover him to be. Suffering and pain and trials can actually teach us to depend on God. Number six, another thing that suffering and pain and trials does for us, it prepares us for ministering to others. This is really common knowledge. I'm not going to park on here very long, but if you look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, this is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can... Comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we received from God. This principle is actually really simple. If you know somebody who has passed away, or if you've ever experienced somebody passing away, and you are in a place just of incredible pain, and somebody walks into the room who has also gone through something similar, and they have also lost somebody way too early, way too close, all those things, that person who just walked in the room almost doesn't have to do anything. They just walk in, and there's already comfort happening. Have you guys ever experienced that? It's because this principle happens. Because when we, one of the purposes that God has for our suffering is so that we'll be able to use it and comfort other people. It actually prepares us for ministry. And every one of you is a minister. Seventh thing it does. It motivates others to ministry. So I'll read some scripture and I'll explain what I mean. 
It motivates others. So if I go through a suffering and trial, it actually motivates other people who see me to ministry. Philippians 1 says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, this is Paul writing and he's in jail, has actually served to advance the gospel because of my... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why were these people who were watching Paul becoming more confident in their evangelism? Shout it out. Why were they becoming more confident in their evangelism? They were getting more confident in the Lord and they were proclaiming the gospel without, without fear. Why? Because Paul was in jail. And they looked at Paul in jail and this is starting to fill him up with motivation. And they're like, let's go. That's what they're thinking. If you surround yourself with apathetic Christians who really couldn't be bothered, eh, I go to church on Sunday if there's no, nothing else happening. If I'm not tired, then I go to church on Sunday. <laughs> if you surround yourself with Christians like that, and you're like that, you just feel normal. But if you're one of those people and you, start, you, you meet somebody like a, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer who, who left, who comes to North America, is in a safe place and looks like he has a ministry of becoming an incredible theologian for God in North America, and then God speaks to him, gives him a word, straight out of scripture, that sends him back to Germany so that he can spread the gospel to his people in Germany and ends up becoming a martyr, what does that do to you? It actually begins to motivate you. Right? If you've met, and I'm, I'm thinking about two specific people, but I haven't asked to use their names, so I'm not going to tell you their names. But if you meet somebody who is in retirement age, and if you look at a lot of Christians around that particular person, they're hitting the golden years, and they're Relaxing and enjoying life. And this particular person, it looks like they're hitting their prime. They're up earlier than they ever have been before. They're spending more time in prayer than ever before. They are passionate. It's like their passion is just getting going. And they're like, now they came over the top of the hill. Now there's momentum and now they're going and they're reaching people for Jesus and working harder than they ever have before. What does that do to you when you see that and you meet them and you realize this is who they are? It's a bit motivating. A bit more motivating than if you just see another apathetic Christian. If you meet somebody and shake their hand and you know that they're traveling across the world and they might never come back, this might be the last time you see them because they're going to risk their life going to tell somebody about the gospel and maybe they'll be able to hand out a couple more Bibles. But they might die for it. Someone might actually take them to prison and kill them because of that. Is that motivating? Yeah, it's pretty motivating. But it's only motivating because they're going through a suffering and trial too. It's not motivating if they're just laying on the couch. Number eight and nine, we're going to do it together. Suffering and pain... Here's the two, uh, two purposes that could be. It simply could just be for God's glory. Simply could just be to reveal Jesus to other people. This happens in Scripture. It happens primarily in two ways. One is when people are healed. 
So I'll give you an example of Lazarus. In John 11, verse 4, Jesus says about Lazarus, he says, this sickness that Lazarus has is not going to end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. But then what happens right after that? Lazarus dies. Everybody's very sad. He's dead for four days. This is a bit of a problem. (laughs) Jesus shows up and raises him from the dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, Lazarus' sister, and had seen what Jesus did to Lazarus, they believed in Jesus. Amen? He, with a miracle, removed the suffering. Amen? And this gives God glory and gives, uh, allows Jesus, uh, reveals Jesus to people, in fact, draws people to him when they see a miracle and it still happens like that today. Amen? That's one of the ways. The other way we see in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 4, this gets shown, is that sometimes the exact same thing happens. God gets glory, Jesus is revealed to other people, but it's not through a, a, a miracle of removing the pain, it's actually just through that person walking in the pain. This is what Paul says. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So when he says in jars of clay, he's already alluding that we are weak, broken, barely holding together vessels. We don't have it all made. We're hard-pressed on every side. Then he starts talking about trials. We're hard-pressed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. In fact, if you look at this, he says, um, we always carry around in our body, go to the next slide, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. How do you carry around the death of Jesus? Through suffering. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. If you have anything that resembles brokenness in this world that is not like heaven, you get sick, you get tired, you're in pain, you're crying, you're mourning, right? Those things are going to be gone. If you have those things, it actually is representing the death, the weight of sin, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. We're broken. We're subject to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. It's actually one of the ways that God can show Jesus to other people is when we are walking through suffering and pain. And so here's what we see. John 11, God miraculously removed the pain and suffering from Lazarus and brought people to him and gave him glory. Then in 2 Corinthians 4, we see that God brought people to him and God got glory through leaving the pain and suffering. Both ways, God does that. So that's one of the purposes. I'll give you a story of Esther and Kim. Do you guys know who Esther and Kim is? If you don't know, this would be a fun book to read. It's called If I Perish. In 1939, Esther and Kim, a small uh, Korean woman, goes to Japan. Uh, the story is quite a bit more exciting than what I'm going to tell you, but I'm just going to give you a short version. She hears from the Lord, obeys a word, goes to Japan. How she got there is already miracle after miracle. But anyway, she gets there, gets in front of the government, warns them what's going to happen if they continue on with their wretched behavior. 
and promptly gets thrown in jail. She is in a female prison, all female prisoners, female jailers. The jailers are absolutely merciless. They beat the prisoners, they torture the prisoners, and they starve the prisoners. She often gets the brunt of a lot of that. One night, uh, one of the jailers is walking along and stops in front of her cell and just looks in there, looks at her. And then Esther is looking at this weird thing, and then the jailer walks down to the different cell and looks in that cell and looks at the person and, okay, leaves that cell and walks over here to a different cell. She went to cell three and cell five and looked at those people, and then she comes back to Esther's cell, and she again is looking at Esther and says, strange. And Esther looks at her and says, what's strange? And she says, there's something different about the face, your face and the face of that person in cell three and the face of that person in cell five. There's something, it's like a piece. I'm going to try and say the words directly. There's um, such peaceful faces like that that she hasn't seen anywhere outside of the jail and certainly not in the jail. And those, cell three, cell five, and your face. Something were different. And Esther and Kim says, I know what the difference is. Would you like to know why it's different? Yeah. Well, it's Jesus. Explains to her what they have that's different because the person in cell three, the person in cell five, were both believers. And so was Esther. The jailer became a Christian that night. Because one of the ways that God, one of the purposes for suffering and pain and trials is to reveal Jesus to other people and bring them to him. Tenth reason, so that we will look forward to heaven. Romans 8, 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's read that one more time. I just want to know that you are reading this, okay? I consider that our present are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. If you look at the next couple verses in chapter 8, it talks about that the whole world is subject to this pain and suffering and trial that's all a result of sin, and there's brokenness, and there's hurt and pain. And it's like it's groaning under that weight of the pain. And it says, we are also groaning under that weight of pain and suffering and trials. That's what this life is for us. But it says we look forward to the redemption of our bodies there's coming a day, just like Jesus on the cross, the joy set before him. There's coming a day when we are going to be redeemed even in our bodies. Amen? Suffering allows us to get that joy because we, if we had heaven on earth, would we, would we be looking forward to heaven in heaven? No. Gavin Reed, he's a minister of the gospel in the UK. There's an interesting fellow in his church. Young man, I think he is 17 at this time this was written, had an accident when he was one year old. He fell down the stairs as a one-year-old and shattered his back and had been in and out of the hospital ever since, living most of his life in the hospital. Gavin Reed, the minister of the gospel, is interviewing him and talking to him. During the course of the interview, the boy made this remark 
God is fair. And Reed stops the interview and looks at him and says, how old are you? 17, he says. And Reed says, how many years have you spent in the hospital? The boy answered, 13 years. Reed looks at him and says, do you think that is fair? The boy replies, God's got all eternity to make it up to me. Because our suffering and the pain and trials here actually just make us look forward to heaven. Amen? The choice in there is just our attitude and how we respond to them. And some of us are in such deep trials right now that it's hard to understand that truth. But for those of us who are maybe able to take in this truth, I want us to understand these things from Scripture so that we are better prepared for when trials come to us because they will. Jesus promised us, in this world you will have trials. So here's what we're going to end. I'm going to end by praying a prayer of declaration. And I'm going to, I'm going to declare a couple things. I'm going to declare that God is sovereign. I'm going to declare that God is in control. I'm going to declare that God is good. Even when we're walking through pain and trial and sufferings, I'm going to declare that God always has our best eternal interest in mind. And I'm going to declare that we can trust Him, that we will trust Him, and that we do trust Him. If you agree with that prayer and want to participate in that prayer, at the end, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, and all God's children who agreed said, and then you just say amen. Amen means you agree, and so be it. Jesus, we just come before you, and we don't always know why you allow us to suffer. We don't understand the whole concept of even life and eternity. We actually don't understand it fully, Lord. One day we will fully know. But Jesus, I just want to declare right now in prayer so that the entire world gets to hear this, especially the spirit world who wants to, they, they are smiling when we suffer. And I just feel like we, we need to declare, the Christians that are in this room right now who believe this, need to declare this. God is sovereign. Lord, we pray and we acknowledge that you are sovereign. You are in control. You are always in control. And we know that you are always good, even when life is tough for us. We also acknowledge, Lord, that you always have our best eternal interest in mind. And we also acknowledge and declare that we can trust you, we will trust you, and we do trust you because you are God. And all of God's children who agreed with that prayer said, 